everyone. Welcome to another episode of The Life She Wrote. My name is Emily. I'm your host. My pronouns are she, her, and I'm the creator of thelifesherote.com, where I write about faith deconstruction, religious trauma, and other ex-evangelical topics. I'm so excited to bring you this episode. I spent the first five episodes of this podcast talking about purity culture, which is just one way that the white evangelical church has abused people. But there are so many other ways that the evangelical church systems in America have caused harm. Today, I'm bringing you a conversation with someone who I not only admire for her activism, but more importantly, for her heart and her passion for healing and helping other people heal from these systems that use and abuse people. If you frequent evangelical spaces on Instagram, Twitter, or TikTok, then odds are you've probably read or listened to Joe Lumen at some point in the last couple of years. But if you don't know Joe, let me tell you about her. She's a Colombian born and raised pastor and writer who moved to the U.S. to get her master's degree in ministry and theology. After 10 years working inside of churches, developing curriculum, teaching classes on theology and doctrine, and finding in personal and systemic ways how harmful and abusive the evangelical church is, Joe quit her job and committed to finding a faith that wasn't abusive. Alongside her partner, she started The Living Room, a nonprofit reclaiming faith and spirituality as expressions that can lead us toward wholeness and healing. In the summer of 2020, alongside a group of victims and survivors of church abuse, Joe started Do Better Church, an online space where people abused in churches can be seen, heard, believed, and connected to others who can offer tools in their journey toward healing, as well as an initiative to invite churches to do better. In less than six weeks, the space grew to over 5,000 people, with over 1,000 different reports of abuse submitted. Joe speaks and teaches about decolonizing faith and theology, as well as the importance of dismantling white supremacy, patriarchy, and capitalism, both individually and collectively. And in this conversation today, we talk about what it's like working and living in church communities in the U.S., the spiritual abuse, the manipulation, financial abuse, all of it. We even get into the weeds on motherhood and ministry and how the system created by American evangelicalism will never stop hurting people unless it's dismantled and goes away forever. So after that lengthy introduction, here is my conversation with Joe Lumen on the American evangelical machine the systems and abuse that drive people out. Hey, I am here with someone you probably know if you follow me on Twitter or Instagram, um, or maybe if you're on Exvangelical TikTok, and that is Joe Lumen. And she was uh, kind enough to join me today to talk about uh, what I'm referring to as the evangelical machine, uh, meaning uh, the churches and church systems that uh, have kind of become their own thing in this country. They've kind of taken on, taken on a life of their own, um, in some cases turned into these huge mega churches um, that sometimes see, you know, uh, thousands of congregants there every Sunday, every weekend. Um, have multiple locations per church, um, and that those that those kinds of churches require a lot of time and labor and energy from the people who are running them, and 
oftentimes this creates an environment which uh, ends up hurting people a lot. Uh, and so I asked if Joe would come on and because I know she's talked about a lot of this before, a lot about this before, and uh, we've interacted before on, on Twitter and conversations about this, just about how uh, the many ways that churches and pastors, especially particularly white male pastors, uh, use people, abuse people, and why it's probably, uh, it is one of the major reasons that people are leaving these churches, whether they want to believe it or not. So Joe, welcome. Thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate you taking the time today. Um, so here we are. Uh, <laughs> uh, in our, you know, both having been uh, post-church staffers, both, um, and I know that you also went through seminary. Um, so, yeah, let's talk about churches and how they, how they use people. <laughs> and I know you've got some stories about this, but, and how they teach people to use people, because that's something that's, uh, something that's problematic as well. Yeah. Well, thank you for having me. Um, and yeah, you know, church abuse is common. And what's most mm. interesting to me is that it's not common because um, it, it just kind of happens. It's not common because some people are making bad choices or they are unaware. And they are unaware in some cases, but it's because it's part of the system. The system in, is built in such a way that abuse is just the way that things work. Abuse mm -hmm. is just the way that things are set up. Um, and when we talk about abuse, I think that it's important to divide, like to understand that it's not just um, like a spiritual abuse is any type of abuse that is using a spirituality or religion to exert abuse, to exert uh, power over people in inappropriate ways. But it can be sexual abuse, it can be psychological, it can be verbal abuse, it can be physical abuse, it can be cultural abuse, um, which is one that people don't realize happens as much as it does, but it does, um, yeah. and financial abuse. So there oh, yeah. are all these types of abuse that happen inside of churches, uh, and they are a part of the system. And there are so many different aspects of the church that are set up in such a way that abuse is not... Um, it's not a bug, it's the default. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's not It's not the exception, it's the rule. <laughs> it's, yeah, it, that's exactly. It was created to, to be that way. And that they probably have found some kind of scripture to back them up in some way, oh, yeah. shape, or form to, to propagate that that abuse. Um, and I'm glad you brought up financial abuse too, because that was something I don't think I even put on my list. And it's definitely something that is, uh, is a problem as well. Yeah. <laughs> financial abuse is deeply tied to uh, labor exploitation too, because oh, that is yeah. financial abuse, you know? Right. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, financial abuse and labor exploitation go hand in hand because it's not yeah. just come and give your tithes or give all of your money or these Manipulative, manipulative ways in which they demand people give their finances, but it's also right. your time is mm -hmm. part of your ministry. It's part of your service. It's part of what God wants you to do in the mm -hmm. world. Uh, so there is all of this manipulation to be able to take your time and your money and call it generosity. But I've, mm -hmm. I've, I've said it before, um, coerced generosity is not generosity anymore. Right. Yeah. That's it's just not. No. Yeah. It's not. 
Um, it reminds me of uh, <laughs> the last church stop I was on. I was really good friends with the children's pastor. She was one of the reasons that even though it was um, really toxic as fuck, I stayed as long as I did because I felt like I was abandoning her if I didn't. Um, mm -hmm. And she was she was super smart. Like she had an MDiv from Talbot. Like she was she was working way below her pay grade. Um, <laughs> she loved kids. She loved children, but she should have been preaching from from the pulpit uh, for adults. Um, but I remember I will never forget this conversation. Um, with the senior pastor who was my boss at the time came to me and said, I expressed to him, you know, because he was, you know, older and had grandkids. And so he might've, I, th I was thinking, well, maybe he's just forgotten what it's like to have small children. Cause she was a mom of two small children also, you know? Mm -hmm. And he said, and I said, you know, I'm, you know, I, I get what you're saying, but I, I feel for her because, you know, as a mom of two small kids, like we really, you know, when our kids are sick and stuff like that, like, I feel like, uh, as a church, like, shouldn't we be expecting our people, our staff to be like putting their own children first and their own families first? And his response was, you know, I, I hear what you're saying, but you have to understand that when she signed up for this job, she, uh, she knew what she was signing up for. And that when you sign up for this job, um, you know, you're doing kingdom work and that kingdom work is just going to be more important than your than your spouse or your children. And you just have to get your spouse and your children to understand that, that, that they are going to always be second to whatever kingdom work you're doing. And well, I just, <laughs> he just came right out and said the quiet part out loud, but it was like, I was just, I remember just being stunned and just like in my head, you know, I was by I was screaming on the inside going, that's not how this works. Like, wait, something's not right here. This is not how this is supposed to work. This isn't, no. this is not okay. I don't, um, I was, so anyway, <laughs> I was postpartum one month, one week, I'm sorry. I was one week postpartum, um, on my, my boss, um, an email asking me if I could be at the staff meeting. He's like, I know you just had your baby and no pressure. Um, <laughs> But for those who can't be there, it's it's just it's going to be really hard for you to be a part of everything that we're doing for the rest of the year because we're going to be like setting up everything because my daughter was born in August. So we and oh. the year, the, the church year for us started in September. Right, right. Um, so like we, we planned starting in September, everything else. And sure, so yeah. it's going to just be really hard for you to be a part of anything. I was like, like of my job, it's going to be a what? part. What? So I was like, OK, oh. so. One week old, having had some serious complications in that birth, where I ripped in three different ways, I couldn't oh, sit down comfortably. Um, I put my daughter in a sling and I went. And oh. listen, I, I own that, you know, like I, I own that I made that choice, but I don't appreciate being told that that was my choice. Because it wasn't. I was put against a wall. It's like, you don't have to come, but if you don't come, you're not a part of the staff anymore. And then... And what do you mean I'm not a part of the staff anymore? That, yeah, so, that's not, it wasn't your, that wasn't a choice. You weren't given right. a choice. Like you no, may have well, said that, but you weren't. Yeah. Right. And when we, when I was there um, and everybody was like, oh my gosh, you're amazing. I can't believe that you're here. You're, this is what being ministry minded looks like. This mm -hmm. is what giving everything for the Lord looks like. Mm -hmm. And I loved, I can't deny that I loved the attention and I loved the praise. 
Um, right. But it was wrong. A good, loving, caring, forget pastor, friend, a, a person that cares about you is like, listen, rest. We'll see right. you when we see you. We'll we'll bring you up to speed. You're right. gonna be fine. You don't have to be here. But right. that that is grooming, right? Because if they praise me for being there, then mm -hmm. they groom me to know that whenever you're sick, whenever you have another child, whenever something happens, the expectation is that you're gonna be here. Beyond that, I was used to groom anybody else on that staff that was ever going to have children to have to do that too. Mm -hmm. I yep. was my daughter was born at 41 weeks. I went to church and served up until I was 40 weeks and five days. Oh my gosh. I had a baby and a week later I was at staff meeting. Like, uh, you know, this, this is, and do I own completely that there were a lot of unhealed things in me that caused for me to not set boundaries? So no, of course I own all of that and I've been healing all of that. You know, it's been years of me working on, Hey, what's the people pleasing part of me? And what is this sure. um, workaholic part of me? Cause sure. all of those, I was just a perfect candidate to be able to be groomed and abused inside of a church. Yeah. All of that aside, a healthy place, a healthy environment, people that care for you, instead of exploiting those insecure parts of you, mm -hmm. invite you to say, what's going on? Why don't you set boundaries? What's going yeah. on? Like, why don't you take care of your body? Why don't you take care of yourself? And I remember that being there, the pastor said, hey, I don't want you to feel bad. Like he set me aside. We had a, we were good friends actually. And he set me aside and he said, Joe, I want you to know something. I know that you might be feeling guilty for being here. And I was like, yeah, no shit. I am feeling super guilty. Uh, and he was like, but I need you to know when God called you to ministry, he called your family too. And your daughter is going to be a part of this great legacy. And she's going to know that from week one, she was doing ministry with you. All of that grooming and manipulation all of it because by the way he's never birthed a child so he no. wouldn't even he wouldn't know yeah <laughs> no you have no idea what i was going through i couldn't i couldn't sit down without pain um like my, my nipples were bleeding at the time like this is not i shouldn't have been there no and it was a two-hour meeting you know i wasn't gonna die but still that's not the point the point is the grooming the manipulation yeah. and 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 they make you feel like what you're doing is good mm -hmm. um they make you feel like betraying yourself not taking care of yourself mm -hmm. accepting these things that are subpar accepting right. these standards that are just not good for you right. is what god wants for you is what being righteous and good and holy means oh yeah. and that's not the case at all you're just being oh, exploited yeah. to grow their church oh yeah they just uh you know that whole uh die you know die unto yourself so that you can live in Christ uh, is definitely used on church staffers a lot, you know? And I was thinking about this when you were talking about um, uh, what your pastor had said about, you know, you were creating this legacy for your child and they would, you know, see how the sacrifice and the time that you put in. I was thinking about the, the sharp contrast between women who are mothers who are on church staffs versus the expectations of mothers who are just in the congregation, right? right? Like the, because there's some similarities, but then there's also some stark contrast, you know, I mean, if you're a woman who's just in the congregation in a complementarian church and you're expected to just be a wife and a, a, and a mother and a homemaker, and that's supposedly, supposedly your highest calling, right? 
it's it's so uh, interesting to me that all of a sudden, if you've chosen to go into ministry or quote unquote called, you felt like you were called into ministry and you chose that path, all of a sudden the rules change for you. Right. Because now, instead of your children being your most important job, now your children are expected to make sacrifices. Now your children are expected to uh, sacrifice that time right. with their with their mom or their dad uh, because because their parents are doing something holier and and more mighty than than just being a yeah. stay at home mom. And you're know. creating really a superiority complex within the staff. Mm-hmm. Serves which serves the volunteer really well. Because right. you're seeing, you know, these people are better than you. These people mm-hmm. are called higher than you. God mm-hmm. has a better, more important job for them than you. And if you want to be like oh. them, volunteer a lot. Mm-hmm. Use your time a lot. So you want to be holier? You want to be tr- trusted by God more? You want to be used by God more? Be like them. Volunteer mm-hmm. your time. You know, use all of your time. And it's perfect. Yeah. Everything yeah. serves as a grooming mechanism so that people are accepting abuse as a normal um, behavior inside of the church. Everything is grooming. So that's why people cannot see abuse. When I when I talk to people that are inside of the church and I talk about abuse, they are like, I'm not being abused. And I'm like, mm-hmm. totally. I, I'm not going to deny your reality, right? But right. when I start blaming abuse, they are like, oh. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Wait, what's abuse? Maybe. I'm like, look. It is abusive to not have agency. It is abusive to dangle belonging unless you do certain things. It is abusive to not let you escalate certain things unless you give a lot of your time and money. All of those things, like gatekeeping is abuse. All of those things are abuse. And it's just people don't know because the system is set in such a way that abuse is normalized. Yes. So I um, I spoke with someone recently and I was telling, because they were, they, they really, really didn't understand how what I was saying was, they are like, you weren't abused, you weren't abused. And I was like, oh. okay, <laughs> let me explain something to you. Right. Oftentimes when people, when I explain that I'm being abused and I explain something to you and you say, that's not abuse. What that means is generally that abuse has been normalized for you. That you have conflated abuse with love and abuse with mm-hmm. care and abuse with righteousness and goodness and ministry. So yeah. it doesn't mean that it's not abuse. It just means that the definition of all of those things has been conflated for you with abuse. Right. So to you, it's just righteousness. It's just ministry right. to me. Uh, and because I can actually prove that it's abuse, uh, it's abuse. Right. <laughs> because I actually have actual proof because I've, I've I've learned some things about this and I've... Uh... <laughs> I've actually, I've, yeah, I've, because I've used some common sense. I've, 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 uh, well, and that's just the thing too, is, you know, they, they discourage so much the critical thinking, you know, you're taught something. Um, I mean, let's face it, you know, I was just listening to a friend's podcast this morning. We we're talking about all the scripture of, of, about, you know, guarding your heart and protecting your heart and how that's used to manipulate people. And I always think of that, that verse, um, that the heart is deceitful above all things. Right. If you actually believing, you know, because evangelicals love to cherry pick these scriptures out and set them, yeah. um, set them aside by themselves, you know, as like pretty little one-liners. And then those become like your life verses. Those become yeah. things that you, that you live by as absolute truths. And yeah. so you, 
whenever you make something your absolute truth like that, like ministry being this highest calling, that it's this, uh, that, you know, that it's this idea of righteousness and that there's nothing, uh, nothing higher, nothing holier than you can do than to give your time and your energy and your finances to the church. That becomes this absolute truth. So of course, when you're in it, you're not going to see it as abuse because your, your baseline is different than what the right. baseline is for somebody who's outside the system, who's mm-hmm. not, who's not living in it. Yeah. Right. So having conversations becomes impossible. Um, right. Because they are holding this truth that is uh, removed from reality. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. So, and I, I, I chuckle not because I'm, it's, it's funny. I chuckle right. because I remember me being in it. I remember being mm-hmm. so far removed from reality. Um, and I remember it's, it's just sad to be honest. It's just absolutely sad. I I didn't know what I didn't know. I didn't know it was abuse. I didn't know. I could feel it was abuse. I could, I was this, I was uncomfortable. I was in pain. I felt, um, I explained it to someone recently. I felt like I was in a stray jacket all the time, Mm, you know, like just wanting to scream and not being able to wanting to, I I remember the first time I screamed on my pastor. Uh, I was so desperate uh, and he kept denying my reality, you know, gaslighting and gaslighting. We were sitting in a meeting and I was telling him I needed to leave the church. And he was like, no, you don't. And I was like, no, but, uh, but I, <laughs> and he was like, no, you just have, a, a, you have a root of bitterness. And I was like, I, I really genuinely don't. I just got to go. Like I got to go. Uh, and he was like, no, I think that it's just, you are dealing with postpartum depression and I was like, no, I mean, maybe, but it's not just that. <laughs> right. So, like, Don't he kept use that against me. Yeah. Yes. He kept gaslighting me. And I just said, you need to stop. I need to leave. And I, I, I raised my voice. I didn't even scream, but it came from the depth of me. And it's like, I had been holding it in. And, the, in, and as soon as I did it, I felt guilty. And I felt, and I apologized immediately. And I was like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm just, I, I just really feel like I'm trapped. I, f- I feel trapped. And that's what I felt. It felt like I was, I felt claustrophobic in my own life. I felt mm. claustrophobic inside of this space and it felt like I couldn't even move. But at the same time, I was unaware of the fact that I was being abused. I didn't, I didn't know I was being abused. I didn't have the language. I didn't know. Um, so it's this, you live in this duality, you know, you're like, and I, if, if you would have asked me then, do your pastors love you? I would have been like, yeah, they love me. They, they totally love me. Uh, I was talking to another pastor and I explained the whole thing to him and he goes, you have to go and this is going to be really bad and he's going to lie and you're going to get hurt. And I was like, he would never do that to me. And he was like, okay. <laughs> fast, forward, fast forward six months later, exactly that happened. And I couldn't believe it. Like I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. I just, you know, I, I couldn't believe because I genuinely love them. Yeah. It was, I did. I genuinely loved them. I genuinely wanted to protect them mm-hmm. so much so that I never said their names. I never shared the story with anybody, but like leaders that I was allowed to, that they allowed me to share it with. Right. Uh, and to this day, I haven't mentioned the church and I probably never will. Not because, not just because I love them and respect them, but also because if I do, um, they'll say, oh, see, she's just bitter. And I'm like, no, I won't right. give you that type of question. Right. Exactly. <laughs> <sighs> Oh my gosh. I, I haven't thought about my last experience. Um, the one where I was speaking about the children's pastor, I was friends with in those 
terms, but just hearing you talk about like them controlling the narrative after you leave and, you know, uh, getting to say whatever, you know, they want to say, and then also not allowing you to speak to people about why you left. Um, that's exactly what happened to me. And I didn't even, I, I, I was only on that staff for six months. Um, cause that's how bad it was, <laughs> but I felt the same way. I would, not, I still, to this day, I haven't, even when I meet people here in town and they, um, or I have friends here in, in town where, you know, we live and they ask me about, uh, you know, what churches we had gone to or where we've been a part of. And even then I still won't even bring it up with the name of the church or, or who it was, because I feel like, uh, like you said, I don't want to give them the satisfaction. You know, I don't feel like it's important. And the thing is, um, it's, it's not about them. It's not, mm-hmm. it's not personal. It's a right. system that they are participating mm-hmm. in. And the exactly. moment we mention their name, they are like, oh, it's about me. No, get over mm-hmm. yourself. Like we've right. moved on. <laughs> Right. We've moved on. We've healed. You you were our abuser, but we've moved on. Now we're yeah. speaking about a system because we care about everybody else getting hurt inside of these churches. You right. know, plural. Right, right. Yeah. And yeah, exactly. Like, like, dude, this isn't the first abusive uh, mm-hmm. stuff that I was on. You know, like, you're not the only one. Uh, I've, you know, experienced other places too that, you know, and it was a completely di- different, different denominations, different pastors, different styles, everything. It doesn't matter. It's the system. And the moment that... I step into a new church, you won't be the last. Right. Like I'll get abused again. If I, if, if I went to a church right. right now and I start getting involved and committed now, are there churches that are healthy communities that are smaller and that are doing good work? Yeah. I've met a few and I love sure. them and they're sure. doing great work. They are smaller though. I don't believe you can be a mega church unhealthy. It's impossible. Now, are there smaller churches that are doing good work and showing up for their community and doing amazing? Yeah, totally. But yeah. none of you all are that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Those, those smaller uh, churches that are doing work in their community are very much working outside the system that we're talking about. They're very much, uh, you know, working outside of that paradigm that those yeah those mega churches operate from it's not they are all made up of marginalized communities yeah all of them yeah mm-hmm. so we're talking about white middle class able-bodied cisgender heterosexual men leading churches no you're not a healthy place yeah no <laughs> definitely not no nope. um i want to talk a little bit about because we've we've talked a little bit about these these white male pastors, but the levels of, um, dare I say narcissism? I'm not saying I want to like, I'm not diagnosing anyone, but I feel like there is a level of that. And I feel like there's some toxic masculinity that's also part of that. That's why I talk about how deconstruction is important. We have to all deconstruct our... And when we talk about deconstruction, what I refer to is um, asking questions of your beliefs, of your religious beliefs specifically, and right. deconstructing your religious beliefs so that you know why you believe what you believe and where those beliefs came from and if they are harmful or not, not just to you, but to those around you. Right. That's important. But deconstruction is not where it stops. Uh, most people don't know this, but because of Christian hegemony, Christian hegemony meaning the fact that Christianity is in, encompasses all of, like touches every single aspect of society as right. we know it in the West. Um, right. 
Christianity is part of the bedrock of how Western society was created. And may, we may not call it Christianity anymore because it's been so long that it's now called secular society. Mm-hmm. So ideologies of what manhood is supposed to look like, of what leadership is supposed to look like, mm-hmm. of what, um, of what you know, uh, the alpha male, the notion mm-hmm. and the idea of an alpha male, all of those things are rooted in toxic, abusive ideologies of Christianity. We just don't call it Christianity anymore because it's been around for so long. It's it's similar right. to the to the. I talk about this in when I teach this class about Christian hegemony, mm-hmm. and I how we don't realize that our entire justice system is rooted in punitive justice brought from the Bible, brought from the idea that um, sins must be punished. Right. But that first, that's not necessarily in the Bible in that way. And (laughs) second, uh, we cannot create an entire justice system in that way because clearly that doesn't work. You know, it's just not, sin is not a notion that helps us comprehend exactly what's going on with a human being so that being said we are we have decided a good man is supposed to look in these certain ways mm-hmm. and narcissism is a spectrum we all have levels of narcissism right the problem is when this becomes narcissistic personality disorder that's what we cannot diagnose so right. i don't know if all lead pastors or all entrepreneurs or all of these personalities right. have narcissistic personality disorder but right. they all have high um levels of narcissism and how could they not because in this system you teach them that they have been chosen by god to lead not only their churches but to lead society they have been taught that god speaks to them in a different way than god speaks to everybody else that god gives them gives them clarity and vision that god gives them the ability to see how society should should move forward how these churches should move forward what people should do in their lives that people have to actually move through them to be able to make decisions so they are literally taught that they are God. How could you not develop? How could you not develop narcissistic ideologies about your personhood if you have been taught and you have been groomed to believe that you are God for other people? That your voice is more important than people's personal voices? That their agency has to be overridden for your agency, for your beliefs, for what you think? You know, I remember yeah. the pastor saying, like, uh, this is a ship and I am the one that's driving because God chose me to give vision. I am the only one that knows where we're going. I am the only one that can see God gave me the vision. <laughs> no, bro, God gave us all vision. We all have vision. We all can see. We all have intuition. We know where we're going. And he was like, and God told you, submit to me. Therefore, you submit to me. But what is what are they describing? They are describing themselves as gods in people's lives. You know, and in this patriarchal, uh, heteronormative society, white, mm-hmm. cisgender, um, heterosexual men mm-hmm. are gods. They have yeah. projected themselves to become gods. They would never admit to that. Uh, I don't think they are even consciously aware of that. Um, right. But if you, if you help them deconstruct their beliefs about themselves... You will see, oh, I am God. And listen, and we can escalate that. The president of the United States, the, the military of the United States, the heroes, the movies about the United States, what are they? We are the gods of the world and you will yeah. follow our lead. And we know what's best for the rest of the world. We know what's best for you. We're going to make decisions for you uh, because God has chosen us. Mm-hmm. So it's the idea of, of being chosen, you know, and it, it's, I mean, 
the, like politically, it has very serious and um, problematic consequences. So much so that they took over this entire land, right? Because <laughs> God gave this land to them. They were the chosen people that mm-hmm. got picked to take this land, regardless of those of us who were already here. Right? Yeah. And so they and take you, people- Yeah, you have things like you have things like January 6th. And people say like, oh, how did we get here? How did January 6th happen? Uh, like, (laughs) gee, I have no idea. Like, I don't, not to dig, not to digress too much, but this reminds me, I just saw somebody the last couple days, uh, somebody had been sharing on Twitter and I don't know if you, I don't remember if you saw it, but, uh, the, somebody was sharing the text from a U.S. government, uh, a Becca textbook that they use in Christian schools and Christian homeschooling. Did you see, I don't know if you saw that going around the last couple of days, but it literally, it literally is teaching children that uh, America was chosen, set a set aside nation, just like you were describing and teaching them that, uh, that the only way that the, uh, Native Americans knew how to express love to each other uh, was because of this book, or was be- or was because of God, was because of Jesus and the and the Christians, and they wouldn't they wouldn't know how to uh, they didn't know how to love each other until no, they to animals. You know, we were like animals, and at the time that the not to digress too much, too. I, I know, I know, I know. But, um, at the time that colonization was happening, at the time that uh, you know, they were they were trying to take over America or what we call now America, the continent. They were having discussions right before too. Like this was like late 15th century. Um, and during the 15th century and late 15th century, they were discussing if indigenous people had souls. And the only reason they wanted to discuss if indigenous people had souls is because if they didn't have souls or if we didn't have souls, we were like animals. Therefore, we were under the dominion of these white people. Because God said, you know, God said to Adam in the garden, right. you have right. dominated over all of the, all of creation. Right, so right. They were discussing, do they have souls or do they not have souls? Because if they don't have souls, and we really think they don't have souls, it is our divine responsibility to dominate them. They were justifying the dominance of other people. And so in their in their mind, they chose, because you cannot hurt another person without dehumanizing them in your brain first. We're just not right. wired that way. You have to dehumanize right. them for your brain. Right. Uh, in their brain, they had to dehumanize that, dehumanize us and reduce us to animals. You know, say you are just like animals. So it is our responsibility to exert dominance and power over you uh, as a divine responsibility. So not only were they um, doing something that they had to do it, like it was their divine responsibility. They were being obedient to God. You know, what do, what do you do? <laughs> And you know what, though? I'm glad that you said that because I don't think it's a digression. I think where we're at from what we're talking about. And the reason I say that is because I think that what we're talking about is a progression of that. It is a progression of, you know, when they talk about how, uh, you know, falsely what they think that this country was founded on and they think about, you know, and what the founding fathers intentions were, you know, of course, I you guys listening can't see me right now, but my eyes are rolling so far back in my head when I say that. But they 
they have no idea what they're talking about when they say that. Because what they're actually doing when they say that they want to, you know, when they talk about this nostalgic idea of America and what America was, it, all they're telling us is that you want to go back to believing that indigenous people don't have souls so that you can just murder them. Like that's, that that's what you want to go back to because that's where we're, that's right. And black people three fits of a human. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Like that's, that's what you want to, like, that doesn't, I I don't think you're saying what you think you're saying. (laughs) Like that's, that's what I want to say to them. (laughs) That's why they fight so hard against education. That's why they Mm -hmm. put that's what they fight against you know critical race theory because mm-hmm. once you get educated you're like oof no no absolutely right. not <laughs> yeah yeah like you can't un because once you learn something you it's very hard to unlearn it you know once you see something differently you can't unsee it i was just saying this to somebody the other day like i remember there were times you know after leaving the church where you know if i was having like a difficult day, like, you know, either like just as a mom or with my kids and feeling like really, you know, alone and not having a lot of, you know, real life support because you're not in that church community anymore. Not that it was real support. A lot of it was really fake, but whatever. But, you know, you, I I remember thinking, you know, like driving, I was in my car driving somewhere and I remember thinking to myself, like, why couldn't I just, why couldn't, like, what is wrong with me? Why couldn't I just be a good Christian? Why couldn't I have just followed the rules? and done the things like why couldn't I why you know at least I would have you know a community at least I'd have some place to go and sit with my kids once a week and you know and talk to other moms like me you know what's wrong with me that I can't just fit in that I can't just and I stopped I remember stopping myself mid-thought and being like because I can't unknow what I know now and I listen, can't being, go back right and being a good Christian in that setting you can be a good Christian, sure, in that setting. Right. It's exactly <laughs> the as being a harmful human. So right. you can. Be a good Christian means being a harmful human. And you're not only harming yourself, you're harming everyone around you. Exactly. Um, and it, you know, I was so um, traumatized and I was so um, insecure and I had so many undealt with trauma that I didn't love myself enough to walk out because of me. Mm-hmm. But once I had kids, yeah. it was over. Yeah. It yeah. was over. I couldn't, yep. I couldn't subject them to that nonsense. I yeah. couldn't, I love them too much. So I, yeah. I, don't, I don't tell my kids this, but I know that they saved me because I was like, I can't, I can't teach them this bullshit. I can't, mm-hmm. I can't tell them that I know better. I can't spank yeah. them. I can't, yeah. I spanked my first daughter. I did. I spanked my first daughter. I regret it so much. I still apologize to her about it. I was actually talking oh. to her recently because she was, um, she had, she had a little meltdown. And that I just feel like you and daddy don't love me. Mm-hmm. And I sat down with her and we talked and I said, you know, you are the only one of our children that we spanked. And I know for a fact that that left some marks in your brain and some beliefs mm-hmm. that are and, and that are not true about who you are. So mm-hmm. you feeling that we don't love you is absolutely valid, babe. Um, mm-hmm. But we love you. We absolutely love you. And so we, we had this conversation about, but I know that the way that I treated her for the first 18 months of her life, mm-hmm. I mean, she was a baby, but right. brains are shaped ideas are being yeah. shaped your yeah. brain is being wired in certain ways and I spanked her I didn't spank her from zero to 18 months I started spanking her when she was like eight months. um and I didn't spank her hard but still you know I'm communicating something to her and her brain yeah. is 
is learning something. So we we have mm-hmm. conversations with her. The other ones haven't been spanked, and they are wild, and I love <laughs> it. But but the thing is, I love them so much. I had to walk away because I had to choose. Am I going to be a good Christian that everybody continues to be like, "You're amazing, you're amazing, you're amazing," uh-huh. or am I going to stop harming the people around me that I love the most? And that was the choice. And that choice was a lot easier that am I going to keep being a good Christian that everybody loves or am I going to go out and just go into the unknown and not knowing what the hell I'm going to find on the other side. But here I knew I'm not going to harm them. Whatever the cost, I whatever it means, I'm not going to harm my kids. I'm not going to harm them. And so that walking out was a lot easier for me. Yeah. So yeah, I was walking into the unknown. I, I was walking into uncertainty. I was going to be alone. I knew for a fact that. Mm-hmm. Um but my God, I was going to be a good mom. Uh, you know, like I, it, it's a good trade. <laughs> a well, good I, trade. Did, I did not expect to be this emotional, but wow. You, uh, yeah, you hit the nail on the head. I, that's, I, I tell people often that that's one of the, that's probably the thing that spurred my deconstruction the most was becoming a parent. Right. Because I couldn't, I couldn't understand uh, and for me, it has a lot to do with sin theology because I, the thought of ever telling my child that they uh, are inherently bad and they need saving, you know, because if you explain Jesus in that context, then you have to explain like, well, why do they need Jesus? Well, you know, I only have the context of, you know, I grew up really charismatic Pentecostal. And so I only have the context of, um, you know, like saying the sinner's prayer and, you know, like the ABCs of salvation and that sort of thing. And when I thought about telling my, especially my oldest, who is very literal and he's probably neurodivergent and um, but he's a very literal thinker. And I, the thought of ha- telling someone telling him, especially if it wasn't me, especially if it was like a Sunday school teacher or a children's church teacher right. telling him that he, uh, that we're all sinners and we all need to be saved. Right. That's your identity. That just the thought of someone telling him that has set me into just sheer panic attacks. I just, I, because I can't, I can't fathom it. And it was like, from that point on, I, I just, I, I think something kind of snapped. And I feel like that was kind of the beginning of my deconstruction almost because I had to rethink the things that I was taught as a child and taught that were absolute truths. Like we were talking about how we hold these absolute truths. And so then our framework is yeah, this thing that's so separated from reality, like you said. And so, yeah, I just, when you started talking about your kids and, and how you had to leave so that you could uh, be a better mom, I don't know, that just like sent me. <laughs> Yeah. I'm okay. I'm going to be okay. But I did not expect that was very, I have to say, I have to say thank you because hearing you say that, especially from another mom, that's probably the first time I've had a conversation like that with another mom since leaving. You know, I've talked, I talked to lots of people all day long, you know, on Twitter or on um, Clubhouse now or, or Discord. And I, um, but that's probably the first time I've heard someone frame it that way for me. And so it just, Okay, but listen, we have to talk about how, because to this day, I am told that I am sending my children to hell. Right. You know, I am told by close family members mm-hmm. and friends that right. I am <clears throat> damning my children, that I am going to harm them forever. Right. 
And first, that's not true at all. Mm-hmm. I know that. Uh, but they believe that. They yeah. are completely convinced that because I choose to not take them to church, I choose to not, I don't let my kids read the Bible. I think it's an inappropriate yeah, book for children. And it's an absolutely, yeah. if they want to read it later yeah. on when they are older, um, and we can have conversations about absolutely. I can, I can teach them about it. I can teach them about the original words. I'm happy to do all of that with them at the appropriate age, just like we do right. any other type of media, any other right. type of content. Exactly. Like I don't right. let my children watch rated R movies because it's inappropriate. Right. <laughs> they are not ready to process that information. Therefore, right. they cannot read the Bible because it's really rated R extremely like, really yes rated R. Yeah, it's, it's not even rated r it's like it's like nc-17 the stories in those in the books are intense and they are not meant for children mm-hmm. and so we've been told for so long that we are bad moms because they, the good moms are taking their kids to church the good right. moms and i i don't this is i don't want this to come off as judgment to those moms that are st- still inside of the church but sure. uh and i believe in spirituality you know that um i know that right. you don't I, as Christian at all, or you know, spiritual. I know right. that you're an atheist, but right. I do. I, I identify as spiritual. I refuse to. I, I call it spiritual development, but we can call it whatever emotional development or you know, psychological sure. development. Sure. I refuse to. I refuse to um, bring a third party into the emotional, psychological, spiritual development of my children. Mm. It's my responsibility, and church right. wants people to do that for them, right? Mm -hmm. You don't have to sit down and have these difficult conversations with your children. Bring them, throw them in the church once a month, once a week, and we're going to have conversations about what it means to be humble. And we're going to talk conversations about what it means to be godly and good and what it means to be. I I can't do that. It's too big of a responsibility. And it's a responsibility that I wanted to rest on my shoulders and the shoulders of their other caregiver and the Mm -hmm. shoulders of the people that we trust and know Right. around them they have aunts and uncles they are not blood related but they are aunts and uncles that uh <clears throat> that are helping us have these conversations with them and we have very spiritual very psychological very emotional conversations with them uh, are developing them i'm not being a bad mom i'm not neglecting their spiritual development exactly. quite the opposite i am way more hands-on right now than i could have ever been inside of the church because inside of the church, there is this expectation that you throw them in there. And it's the same with youth, right? Because right, yeah. my husband was a youth pastor. And that was mm-hmm. the expectation. Throw them in there. The youth pastor is going to have these conversations with them about sex and about uh-huh. relationships, about womanhood, and manhood, uh, about all of these things. And then parents mm-hmm. could trust that the, the youth pastor was going to take care of all of that. That is not the responsibility of anybody, anybody uh-huh. but us. Yeah. So I'm, I don't care, you know, like, I don't yeah. care. We, yeah. I want to, I want to be a part of their spiritual development. I don't care what my children believe. I don't care if right. they become theist or atheist, if they want to walk down the path of any religious affiliation, affiliation, that's totally fine with me. I will right. give them religious literacy, you know, exactly. I will give them yes. all of the things that they want to have yes. and they get to make whatever choice they want to make. And that's fine with me, but mm-hmm. I will give them the tools. I will not, however, cover their eyes, throw them into a room and ask for a pastor to give them information that is only one way or one framework. And then like, okay, I did, I did my job. And listen, it's, it's a, it's a system, right? The system is built that way. Right. The spiritual development of adults is, is treated the exact same way. 
Come mm-hmm. once a week on Sundays and we will tell you what is goodness and what is faithfulness and what is humility and what is forgiveness. And then mm-hmm. you're good. You're set to go. You don't have to do the work. You don't have yeah. to do the work of actually figuring out what it means like to be a human, what, what it means to be a human being, you as a human being right. in, the world, in your relationships with yourself and all the people around you. You don't have to do it. Right. I'm going to give you these bite sizes and you're just going to have to perform them. And then I'm going to give you a thumbs up and everybody's good. So the church not only uh, harms, abuses people, but also it ends up causing a lot of emotional stuntment. (laughs) Like it stunts people spiritually. It stunts people emotionally. Um, There's a level level of emotional immaturity that you often see with people who live within that system for a long time. And I didn't even realize that until I uh, got out and was finding a, you know, community of other former evangelicals online. And I would find that, um, you know, at first, you know, you find other people who are like you and, you know, had the same experiences and you're kind of like on this high, you know, like, oh my gosh, there's other people like me and this is so exciting. And then you eventually start to realize that, everybody's all, you know, not only are we all at this different level of deconstructing our faith, you know, in different phases, because it does, you know, kind of go in waves and in phases, but also there's this level of emotional immaturity that we all possess because we all lived within this system that, like you said, stunts that ability to find that emotional maturity on your own. And makes relationships really shallow. Oh, very, very shallow. Yeah, it makes so, it makes you know, it so difficult to be vulnerable. That only, um, the only thing that you have in common with them is that you go to the same church and believe the same things. Right. Um, but there is no depth to these right. relationships. There is, no, there is no depth. There is no calling out. There is no accountability. There is no, like, real peer support, you know? I'm just right. because you and I go to the same right. church. Right. The moment that there is an invitation to accountability, is like, oops, and we're done. Yeah. Oh, so we don't know how to do conflict either here. Okay, cool. Oh, yeah. Um, so, yep. so you know, I don't. We the church to me, um, the most harmful. One of the most harmful things that the church does is that it invites people to disassociate from their life and give their life mm. over to the church. Mm-hmm. It invites them to say, "Your life is not your own anymore. Give it to us. We'll tell you what to do, how to do it. We'll give you a pathway to follow. You'll mm-hmm. just follow it, and everything is going to be good." And then people wake up one day trapped in this life that was crafted for them, mm-hmm. um, being miserable and not knowing even who they are, you know, yes. Um, not yes. knowing I had to discover who I was outside oh, yeah. of, I had to discover who I was inside of all of these religious frameworks, inside of these religious mm-hmm. um, teachings. And, and I was raised a little bit differently than American, you know, cause I was raised in Colombia. I was born and mm-hmm. raised in Colombia and a lot of the frameworks are a little bit different. And my dad is a little bit of a rebel too uh he's still an evangelical but he's kind of a rebel and he's always been like that so he never believed that we were sinners and he would tell me that he's like don't believe when they say that you're a sinner you're a saint he would always say that you're a saint don't ever believe they tell you you're a sinner you're a saint i kind of love that always always he repeated that so much to me um but obviously the idea of the saint was i'm a saint because i'm a christian Whoever right. wasn't wasn't a Christian, so there there is harmful there too. And I talk about it. Now we both know that's not true, and he has. But so I've I've grown up with different ideologies too. But I remember 
sitting up one day <laughs> with three kids, little tiny kids. My son was probably a week old. Um, uh -huh sitting there, husband, kids, living in America, because the, the reason I live in the U.S. is the church. Oh, wow. uh, all of these things, sitting there thinking, fuck, I don't know who I am. Mm. I don't know. I don't know who I am. Mm. I don't know who I am. And if I could start all over again, none of the choices would have been made. None of them. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the pain and the grief of losing the person that you always thought you were and realizing yes. this isn't me. This was crafted mm -hmm. for me. I was yeah. molded in this person and in that molding, I lost me yes. and I have God. And I tell people the journey that I've been on since is the journey of mm -hmm. finding me, the real, true me. Mm -hmm. And I will die finding her and not only finding her, but unearthing her, mm -hmm. letting her and take all the damn space that she wants to and be everything yes. that she's meant to be not yes. not bogged down by religion not bogged down by societal expectations not bogged down by any kind of nonsense I get to yeah. experience and take space and I get to be me because for too long not just me but me and my ancestors were told that we didn't get to be so it is an act yeah. of resistance for me and it is an act of rebellion too against the system mm -hmm. to say I'm going to find me. I'm going yeah. to unearth me. And you're not going to get to stop me. I get to become everything that I was crafted to be. And part of that is also spiritual for me. You know, I get yeah. to, that, that to me is I get to bring out all of the divinity that I was created in, that you wanted to push down into a box that is not divinity right. at all. Right. Yeah. I get to become all the divinity that I was created in. And all of the colors and all of the nuance and all of the madness, the beautiful yes. madness that I am, I'm going to bring it out. That is the journey of life. That's what I want. That's what I do with my life right now. Um, yeah. But it was really painful. And, I, and we don't talk enough, I think. And it's something that I want to talk more about, which probably I'm going to once I start feeling better because I had just surgery. <laughs> we don't talk enough about the, the, the grief of losing the only self you've known after during the construction mm -hmm. and after the construction yes. you know? yes. we, we lost we lose this person that we've lived with yes. for our life our whole life yes. and yes. and it, she's she's not a healthy person <laughs> but right. she's my person she's right. the only person i've ever known and yeah. and and there is this grief of losing her there is this grief of i i i I've known you, you know, you, you and I were yeah. together, these, we, we've walked these and you were so right. harmed and abused and I'm losing you. And I need to, I need to lose you. You need to go. I need to kill you. Right. You need to die. Yeah. You absolutely need to die. But in that process of you dying, I get to grieve the death of everything that we've been together. Yeah. Um, I didn't talk enough about that, how there is so much grief, not just because of the lies that Told, not just because of the abuse but because you're also losing yourself in a way yes yes oh my gosh Jill. <sighs> okay I didn't like prepare that this would be like uh like a self-therapy session but here we are um <laughs> I I couldn't agree with you more I it really and it, you're right in that we don't talk about it enough we, we don't because, you know, a lot of times the things that I was, you know, when I first started therapy, actual like therapy with a therapist to do, you know, a, 
to heal from the religious trauma and the the spiritual abuse. I, uh, I was just struggling just with the fact that I was grieving with the time lost. I was grieving for the things that I didn't, like you said, the choices I would have made differently. Right. Um, and I was, but I wasn't really allowing myself to grieve it because I felt so guilty because I thought that if I grieved that, that that meant I wasn't grateful for what I have now, right. meaning a partner who loves me more than I could ever imagine and is incredibly supportive and an amazing father to my kids and two beautiful children who I love dearly. And there's this weird, uh, uh, there's this weird tension having, which this is another thing that evangelicals are not good at. They're not good at holding things with tension. Right. Duality, everything is black and white. Yeah, exactly. There's no gray area. And so I had to really work hard to be able to allow myself to grieve those choices I didn't make, those things I didn't get to do as a younger, young woman, um, because I spent so much time waiting to become a wife and then waiting to become a mother because I thought that those are my highest callings. And I thought that that must be the thing I'm going to be the best at because that's what I was told. Right. And so I spent so much time pleading with God to give me these children and felt like I always felt like I was uh, late to the game, always felt like I was behind. I always felt like, you know, everybody else was, you know, I, I did get married a little bit later, but like I didn't have my first child until I was 32 and, you know, all the other 32 year olds at church had kids in elementary school already. And then, you know, here I am with like this one newborn. And so I felt like I was behind and left out and like, I wasn't a part of, um, I still didn't feel like I fit in anywhere. And so there's this weird, uh, just this heavy guilt that I felt for like, no, I love my children. Like I don't, it's this weird thing. Like I, I guess I wish the past could have been different, but at the same time, I, without that past, I, I wouldn't be where I am now. You know what I mean? Like it's this strange. Right. Right. Yeah. So I'm glad that you. People are like, I, well, why don't you just go back to Colombia? I'm like, we have a life here. <laughs> right. Like, I've been here for 15 years. I have, I married here and my husband doesn't speak Spanish getting a visa and residency yeah. for my children and my husband in Colombia is actually expensive and hard. Oh, yeah. uh, there are a myriad of reasons too, like personal sure. reasons that I don't want to go back. And sure, sure. it's not that simple. And I, I love, I love the life that I have. And mm-hmm. if I started over, I wouldn't have made the same choices I made. Like those things can be true at the same time. You know, like we can, right. we can hold complex realities, people. We can do these. It's, yes, it's <laughs> we, we can. We can. It's not an indictment of what I have. It's just a yeah. fact of what I've lived. That's it. You know, right. and I want my kids to have the freedom to make the choices they want to make. But they, I want them to make, yeah. and we talk about this a lot with them, <clears throat> especially my oldest two daughters. Like, your choices are yours. I want them to right. be yours. You know, of course, right. I'll have, I'll influence you. Uh, because you live with me and I'm your mama, but at the end of the day, your choices are yours. So what do you want to do? And there is this freedom of knowing what do you want to do? What do you want to do? Because I, everybody should have that kind of agency that was taken away from us. 
to be able to say, I don't, I don't want to go to church or I don't want to do these or I don't want to wear fucking skirts. I want to wear short right. shorts or, you know, right. Like, right. even in the similar things like that, like I want sure. to be, I curse a lot, by the way, I know that it doesn't seem like it from my social media life, um, but in real, <laughs> I do. Um, <laughs> I want people to have agency because yeah. Whether we want to believe it or not is irrelevant. People actually, their intuition is brilliant. Children yes. just haven't, the reason why children need caregivers is not because they are useless without us or because we have to mold them into becoming the things that they have to be. It's because they don't right. know how to tap into their intuition quite yet very well. Mm -hmm. And because their brain isn't developed enough to be able to make certain decisions. Right. They haven't developed their sure. brain, like their brain is underdeveloped. Uh, yeah. But the, the job is to teach them to help them develop their brain, to teach them about emotional development, to teach them about how they get to listen to their intuition. They get to be emotionally um, available human beings. But yeah. all of that was taken from us. Decisions were made. Yeah. You know, this is right. what you have to do. And a blueprint was there. And it's like, well, go ahead and follow it. And I was, I was 30 when I had my first child too. And yeah. um, And I always felt that way too. And I thought it was just an American thing because people don't get, don't have kids early in Colombia like they do mm. here. Oh, interesting. Like, yeah, they don't. And also they don't have that many children either. Most people have two tops. So I'm the anomaly. Like when I'm in Colombia, people look at me like, what the, f what happened? <laughs> what the hell did you end up why, why did you keep having children? I don't understand. Yeah, like, <laughs> Something is generally, you know, listen, the fourth wasn't, The last one was not planned and <laughs> evangelical in the U.S. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, it's in Colombia, people have children later. So when I was here and I moved to the U.S. when I was 25, 20, okay. no, 20, yeah, 24. I was 24 when I moved to the U.S. And all of these people were pregnant or married and I was not, neither, neither did that I want to That must have been so strange to you. <laughs> I was. It was so strange. I was like, why are they all married or pregnant? And why do they look at me like I'm weird? Because I don't want to be either. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I was like, I'm fine if I get, I was fine if I got married around 30. I was yeah. fine if I didn't get married, by the way, too. But yeah. the American conditioning, it was like, you have to get married. You have to get married. Oh, you have to get right. married. You have to get married. Yes. yes so finally, absolutely. I did. I, you know, died. <laughs> fine, fine, fine. I'll get married. Yeah. So. <laughs> um, So this guy, yeah, I met him and we got married. And he was wonderful. He's wonderful. <laughs> and then I didn't want to have kids. Same. Like this conditioning and expectation. And he was like, you have to have kids. You have to have kids. In Colombia, that doesn't exist. There is no, I mean, there is an expectation for Christians to have kids, but not, right. it's not like this mandatory super like you have got to it, it's right. not like that. it's not like, it's not built into the it's not built into the psyche of no, like it is like american evangelicals yeah no no it was like you should you should it would be good right you should do it. yeah And it's not if you don't people are not like absolutely disappointed in your but yeah here, they're not gonna look at you like you're a freak if you're not they're not gonna yeah. be like oh do you hate children if you say you right. don't want kids they're not gonna yeah. be like <laughs> yeah And it, it was that, like, it was, there was a real culture, cultural shock for me. A lot of things were a cultural shock. A lot of things sure. continue to be a cultural shock. There are things, it's been 15 years and I'm still like, what? <laughs> what? We could probably, we could probably, uh, we could probably do like a whole other episode on, on like w weird shit that white people do in America. Like, <laughs> <laughs> There, they, I, I, so my husband was like, wait, is this an American thing or 
what the fuck? <laughs> and, and he's like, yeah, totally. totally. I do, I do notice that when I'm, I'm having a conversation with you, but I'll stop it. I'll go. Am I about to use some strange, like American idiom or figure of speech that Joe is going to be like, what the <laughs> fuck is she talking about? <laughs> there are so many times. Like I watch, people don't realize how foreign I am, I think. Um, but sometimes I'm watching movies and I don't get it. I don't, I don't get yeah. it. I don't get it. And I have You're to like, go, I don't, I don't, Caleb, what? I don't get it. And he just laughs. American humor is very hard for me. I don't, I don't get it. I don't, I don't get it. Yeah. A lot of people like, how's that fun? <laughs> like, I don't, and it's specifically like, yeah, like these white American humor, you know, the, the white comedies. Yeah. I'm yeah. watching them. I don't understand how this is funny at all. Like at all. At all. At all. And people are dying, laughing around me. I'm like, I don't get it. Uh, You're like, what? Yeah. But at the same time, our humor is very different. Super dark. You know, Colombia went through a 60 mm. year civil war and we were demonized by the entire world as terrorists. And um, <sighs> like, the first time my husband traveled with me and he realized that I get stopped everywhere. Uh, I get stopped and searched and my bags are always opened because I carry a different passport and mm-hmm. I have asked a million questions and I'm usually taken away from him to have a different, like a second interview away from him. Oh my gosh. And he was like, what is happening? I was like, what? Doesn't this happen everywhere? <laughs> like, no, like this, this doesn't no. happen to you? You don't get taken to this little room and all of your bags searched and questioned for hours? My bags usually had holes. Like, they would poke them with these like long things, poke them. Uh, oh to see if there was gosh. something in between the layers of the bags, they would poke him. Mm-hmm. And my wow. bags always had holes. And he was like, oh why are there gosh. holes? I was like, your bags never have holes? And he's like, Joe, <laughs> what? <laughs> what? And I was like, have you ever been asked to get a, an x-ray of your of your torso? And he's like, you have? And I'm like, yeah. They asked me to get x-ray of my torso. And he's like, what? And I was like, what do you mean you don't? Oh. And like, yes, yes, we have a a New Zealand passport or a you know European passport, and you're a white person. Your experiencing traveling is very different than the experience of traveling with a. But but because that has been our normal for so long, like my whole entire life, that has been my normal. Oh my god! We make fun of it, like we make jokes about it, and we shouldn't probably. But we have this like super dark humor. And it's a, it's a, it's a coping skill. It's a, it's a coping skill. I mean, I, and it's, and it's, you're, it's what the human brain often does things, you know, will reframe things in a way so that it's less damaging to us in the moment and less harmful to us in the moment. What are we going to do? Like, there's nothing we can do to get people to stop thinking that Colombians are terrorists. Like, that's why I talk so much about white supremacy and why I talk so much about supremacy culture in general. Because it harms so us important. in real, genuine ways, yeah. you know? I don't know what it means Absolutely. to be a Colombian without being framed as a terrorist or a coke addict. I've never seen cocaine in my life. And oh people, every gosh. time people meet me, they're like, cocaine. And I'm like, what? You're the ones that consume it. We just make it. Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. According, but, but according to Hollywood, uh they are the ones that make it in Colombia, right? I mean, if you think about like movies, like Hollywood movies, like that's what they make movies about, you know, like cops, like going to Colombia and like, you know, busting the cartel and like, yeah, I mean, these are the, 
you make it. Those are the movies that we grew up on as kids and, you know, and teenagers in America in the 90s, you know, was that that was the that's what we were fed. You know, I mean, was that kind of content, you know, like, well, and about you know, a lot of Central America in general, you know, but yeah, yeah, we're all we're all a messed up people. It's amazing. <laughs> that's why I like people meeting us. Because then that's why proximity yeah. is so important. Uh, yeah. proximity changes everything, especially in, when you've come out of the evangelical world where everybody's demonized, you know, everybody that's not you, that's not like you, right. you be, behaves like you believes like you is demonized. When you right. out, I encourage people listen, just just get as close, especially now in the social media world, get as close as possible without being disruptive, without taking up space, just watch listening. Um, I tell people take six to a year, six months to a year to just watch and listen. Don't, don't, don't get crazy yet. Six months. Right. (laughs) Close to all of the marginalized people that you were told were bad, you know, listen to the immigrants and listen to the transgender people and listen to the gays. And yes. listen to all of the people that you were to listen to black people, listen to, mm-hmm. listen to poor people, listen to sex workers, yes. listen, yes. sit down, listen to Jewish people, listen to, listen yes. to people, by the way, saved, listening to Jewish people and Muslim people is yes. perhaps like 70% of the reason why I am still spiritual mm. because it was beautiful what they were talking about, mm-hmm. the faith that they believed in was beautiful yes. to me. But Christianity, yes. Christianity is gross. Now, now there yeah. are aspects of Christianity I find beautiful and, and redemptive and whatever, but it was them. It was Muslim people in Turkey seeing them live out their faith and Jewish people mm. all over the U.S. and then listening right. to native spirituality and learning about native spirituality. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, so I tell yes. people, take, when you start, when you leave the church, take six months to a year where you're just kind of a, a fly on the wall of all of these people mm-hmm. that yes. you've been conditioned to demonize. And that proximity yes. will help you to remember, not to remember, but to see them as humans right. because your brain, we are not. Right. Yeah. They're not, they're not lost. They're not lost and need saving. And that's how it's been framed because by the way, so Joe is giving you advice about leaving uh, when you leave, you know, take like six months to a year and listen to these people. And by the way, part of the reason I'm sure she's saying that, and this is important, your short-term missionary trips do not count. No, they don't count. They don't count for anything. Okay. Yeah. You weren't, you, I don't care if you were there in Mexico for a week teaching VBS when you were 14, like I was, that doesn't matter because you were still objectifying them as someone who has lost and needed saving. Right. So and that's not please easy. if you're listening to this and take yes, take Joe's advice if you're listening to this. And I will even add there are so many creators of all of those kinds of people that Joe just mentioned that right. that white Christians objectify who have already written books, yeah. who have podcasts, who are doing this work and they should be paid for their work. So don't, don't go on their, you know, on their Instagram accounts or their Twitter accounts and bombard them with a million questions, go and buy their fucking book, go and subscribe to their Patreon or their Substack or whatever it is that they are doing to earn money for the work that they're creating. Because, you know, (laughs) there, because there's this, and and here I'm going to come back to this church abuse thing again, you know, you're taught in that system that you can abuse people's time. We didn't see it as abuse, but we were taught that it was okay. Like, 
oh, if they're putting themselves out there to answer these questions, I can just ask them, ask them a million questions and expect them to have answers. Right. Now, some people are more generous than others on social media. And I have seen Joe very patiently answer people's questions on Twitter a lot of the time where I'm just looking at it, like reading on my screen and going like, oh my God, Joe, you have the patience of someone who's not even human because I can't even believe that you're even responding to that person right now. Like they don't, they don't deserve your response. Like they don't deserve it. But not everybody has that capacity and not everybody uh, has the ability to do that. And so if, they've, if they're putting content out there and they're providing a link somewhere that says, you know, this is how to subscribe or buy my book uh, or download, you know, or, or buy my uh, class, you know, if it's a class that's being offered, please do that. And honestly, of just... the way I see it, we came out of this place where we were told that we were giving tithes because we were getting something in return, right? We were right. getting lessons in return. We were learning all of them in return. You are really, really genuinely going to learn things by by listening to marginalized people, by learning mm -hmm. from marginalized yes. people. You're yes. going to become a better human being. I guarantee it. I guarantee yeah. it. You listen mm -hmm. to all of these marginalized yes. teachers, all of these marginalized yes. activists, all of these marginalized theologians, mm -hmm. all of this incredible work that is hard work. You're going to be learning. So if it is feasible for you um, because I understand finances are complicated and messy but if it's right, feasible yes. for you transfer your tithe there seriously your tithe. You're, you're already tithing that money was already being set aside and if it's obviously if it's the healthiest thing for you is to take that money and pay your bills do that but yes. if, you, if it, it wasn't hurting you before it's still not hurting you take that money right. This is a spiritual and emotional and psychological. And, you know, this is this is development. You are being developed yeah. to a better human being. So take that money, put it there. Because it's, it's amazing for me how people would go to church, tithe a lot of money uh, mm -hmm. over this information that was actually not even that insightful. I'm not, I'm just going to be honest. I haven't heard <laughs> an insightful and good sermon in a long time. The last time was in Orlando, Florida. And I was, I think, 16 years old. The pastor was Nash, <laughs> and he was, he blew my mind. Like, he blew my mind. That was the last 14 years old. Uh, he's dead now, but he still blows my mind when I listen to some of the things he says. <clears throat> Absolutely brilliant. Like, a brilliant Orthodox pastor. Like, he was an Orthodox Christian. That's amazing. But, but you know, people are giving money to that. A lot of the content that you're hearing on this side, a lot of the theologians that are from the margins, trans transgender theologians are amazing. Uh, yes. All of these people putting activists that are putting out content that is just so incredible and it's just changing lives, really, generally mm -hmm. changing lives. Yes. How is it so hard to actually pay them? <laughs> you know, like that just that just talks about how people believe that they are entitled to marginalized Yes. content of marginalized people to the work of marginalized people. And that's that superiority mm -hmm. complex that we have yes. all in our privileged identities. We have all been um, conditioned to believe that we are entitled mm -hmm. to marginalized yes. people. And I speak yes. you, to you are the one, you are the one who is different. So therefore you owe me an explanation for your differences because exactly. you look different than me. Exactly. So you owe me, I, I feel like that's um, when we talk about, um, the LGBTQ plus community and when people choose to come out. And I think that a lot of times straight people expect, especially like in my generation, you know, like uh, older millennials or older, you know, like Gen X, they like expect this 
they feel like they're owed someone coming out to them. Them. There's this expect expectation of like you owe an explanation to me for why you are coming out as gay or lesbian or transgender. This younger generation that's coming up is hopefully going to live without that burden of people thinking that they are entitled uh, to their time and their explanations and their energy. And, you know, because that's such a a white evangelical thing, like you were saying, it's baked into all of society. Like yeah. all of society, not just within Christianity, but now it, it bleeds over into everything else, like things like purity culture and modesty and, um, you know, and patriarchal. Yeah, the exactly. The assumption of heterosexuality is yes. has led into everything. Yes, um, yes. Now we are undoing that harm. And yeah. my daughter, the other day, I we were talking and I was like, if you guys choose to get married, I don't know why we were talking about that. We were watching a show and I was like, if you guys choose to get married, uh, like, I think I asked them, how old do you want to, like, how old are you thinking you want to get married or something like that? Mm-hmm. But I specifically asked one of my daughters, like, when you, like, when you marry a, a, a boy or something like that. Some, I don't remember oh, exactly. Mm-hmm. The and my other daughter goes, or a girl. And I was like, you're right. I'm sorry. <laughs> you're right. When you choose to marry, yes. whatever you choose to marry, like, when you choose to marry a person, because I said, yes. oh, yeah, said something like, <laughs> how old do you think you're going to be when you choose to marry a boy? And my daughter was like, oh, yeah. and I was like, or anybody. Like, yeah. how think you're gonna think you choose to marry a person. I'm sorry. Yeah. And I apologize for my language. But yeah. you know, my seven-year-old is correcting me That's on amazing. my gendered language. And I was I like, the kids know better. They do. They I that's funny. The other day we were this last couple of weeks, we uh we've been shifting a lot of rooms around and cleaning a lot of stuff in our house and um my we were cleaning out a closet in one of the bedrooms that was going to be my son's bedroom and for some reason and it was just in there by itself it wasn't with any other um like keepsakes or anything and I'm not sure why I don't know I have ADHD my house is like there's just weird stuff everywhere um but my husband found this bag that had the veil I wore on our wedding day in it um and it didn't really have any sentimental value for me because I'm pretty sure I picked it up at like a Michael's craft store for $5 and like glued sequins on it. So like it didn't have any like, you know, it wasn't like, it wasn't expensive. It wasn't a hand-me-down. It wasn't, um, uh, yeah. Uh, a keep, yeah. It, it, yeah. But when he handed, yeah. Yeah. But when he handed it to me, I looked at it and I was like, no, nah, I don't really have any sentimental attachment to it. And then my husband was like, really? You don't want to keep the veil you wore on your wedding day? And, my husband, let me frame this with like, he's like the most egalitarian person ever. Like he's never seen me as someone who's submissive yeah. or like, he's always seen me as his complete equal. So he's not, um, That's not where he was coming. this was not, yeah. Like it was not where he was coming from, but it was just more of like this, don't you want to keep it? And then something in my brain just like snapped. And I was like, all of a sudden I was yelling at him about like, no, like, why would I keep it? Like, why? So I could maybe show our daughter one day? Well, why would I show her that? Why would I want her to assume that she would want to wear a veil on her wedding day? Because I'm pretty sure it's some kind of like weird patriarchal tradition that has to do with like virginity or something, which is also a social construct. And that's super heteronormative and gross. And I 
don't want her thinking that either. And so why would I even save it? I don't even want her to know it exists. Like, I don't, she might not even want to marry, get married ever, or even marry a boy or like, it just to me on this whole, like, and he was like, okay, okay, okay. Well, like you could get, you can throw away the veil. Like I'm not like, my feelings aren't hurt. It's fine. Like, <laughs> like, like it's cool it's cool you can throw away the veil just like i'm backing away now <laughs> That's but, it, but it made me but it just made me think about you know how that you know that was so steeped into us as children you know this idea that you were gonna like get up grow up and get married and but yeah, it's because and yes and that's how whole church ministry systems are organized and planned out right. is by this heteronormative life path right. of you're going to get married and have children. And that was one of the first things that, um, that kind of got me thinking when I was still in the church was I was always really upset was how single people were often left out of like the church ministry calendar. They were kind of like the castaways. They were kind of like the, um, once expected to serve more because you don't have, yes, any your you don't have any kids so, and they, and they never had their own, you know, when you think of like, uh, I, I think I wrote about this like a long time ago and I, there was a lot of Christianese in it. So I don't think I've republished it, but, <laughs> um, but it, you know, if you think about it, there's, um, in a church, you have like the children's pastor, you have the senior pastor, a youth pastor, a music pastor, and all of these, uh, ministry groups, I guess you could say, or ministry calendars are all arranged by these age demographics that all revolve around having children. Right. And so, and then what do the single people get? Oh, well, they fall like under the small group banner. You know, they just have like, like there's a small group, for, a few small groups for unmarried singles, right. you know, right. and it's like, I just remember being so upset about that, even as a Christian still in the system, like it didn't seem right to me, you know, like this is not um, like something is amiss here. Like right. you're basically saying there's something wrong with these people because they've made these choices to have a career um, right. or to just choose to not have children. Well, that's how I felt when I moved to the U.S., I was going to this yeah. big church in Las Vegas and I was like, why is everyone married? Where, where do I, mm. <laughs> what the hell do I do? Yeah. Cause I was, yeah. I had graduated from college already. I was 24 mm. years old. I was, you know, mm. I was on my path to get my master's degree and do all of the things I had. I was in a different, like I was, I was supposed to be married and have probably at right. least one child yes. when I wasn't yeah. I was single. So I ended yeah. up hanging out with a whole bunch of the college student age mm -hmm. so I, I ended up leading a small group at UNLV oh, wow. and at the time who was also single and older to be single he shouldn't have been single either uh he lived <laughs> somewhat like the closest small group for him was the UNLV small group so he started coming to the small group that oh. I was in, and that's how it um oh, but wow. yeah it was the same he was like I there is no place for either yeah. of us like there is no you know, yes. so we were part of the college group, even though we were both out of college already. Right. You know, yeah. it was like and we were, I often found that you ended up being, uh, there was a lot of us who like, we were still in college, but we were like attending like the community college um, in our town and our town just didn't have really anybody. We didn't have a college in our town. It was a very small, we just had a community college, but it was a very small town. 
and our church just didn't have really for the longest time enough people who were even in that age group or in that category. And so a lot of us ended up being youth leaders for the high school group because we identified with them the most because we just came from that phase of life. Not that long ago, you know, we were like in our early twenties, you know, and, but you still very much felt, you know, especially like, you know, on Sunday mornings and stuff, you still very much felt out of place because there were very few people who looked like you and talked like you and, yeah. Oh, so weird. Well, there are too many people that are left out because the, yes. the church system is just like you fit in if you only fit into these four boxes. You have to. Yeah. So everybody yeah. has to main. That's what I called people have to main themselves to fit in, which is gross, mm-hmm. or simply leave. Yeah. That's why queer people leave. That's why yeah. immigrants leave. That's why all of us yeah. minorities eventually are like, peace. Like, I don't fit in here. Right. Yeah. Uh, that's that's, yeah. Really I think the way I. I think the way I described it was putting your ass to, like you said, maim yourself. And the analogy I use often is uh, you're, you're asked to put your pieces of yourself that don't fit in their paradigm, like in this box and put them on a shelf and, and pray that Jesus will make you whole, like without those pieces somehow. Right, right. Like, and it's so dehumanizing. It's so like, you know, I... I kind of cringe using that word now because of the Tim Keller nonsense from a couple months ago. But I mean, it really, that really is what's dehumanizing. You know, yeah. you know, he was using dehumanizing in this completely incorrect, you know, definition and context. But the church is what, you know, they are actually the ones doing the dehumanizing. You know, it's not the bad you can't be a full world. Human. You cannot be a full human yes. to, to belong. And it's not just to belong to them. It's to belong to divinity. Right. So you're like, fine, yeah. I'll myself. I'll, 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 I'll cut pieces off and, you know, I'll, but the pieces are there. <laughs> so. They're not going anywhere. Yeah. They really never went anywhere. Right. Yeah. They don't. Right. Cause like you, you know, like you said, that person that you, uh, that you are grieving the loss of, she was with you all the time. Right. She was what carried you through all of that, you know? So you're not, there's so much of, you know, it's not as simple as one verse that says, you know, denying yourself to, you know, to live in Christ. It's when we say denying yourself, there's so much more to that because not only are you denying yourself, but you're also having your own reality denied to you. Right. Right. Because there's so much gaslighting that's going on. And then you're also taught to like gaslight yourself i talk to people about this all the time like you're literally taught to tell yourself that you uh that what was happening wasn't really that bad or what was happening wasn't really you know right uh was something that it wasn't so it oh well i know we should probably wrap this up but i i can't tell you how grateful i am that you uh, took the time to do this today. I just, I feel like the luckiest human in the world, <laughs> especially the more projects you start and the more things you're doing. I'm like, I still can't believe that Joe is going to be on that podcast. Um, <laughs> I feel like, but I, this conversation has been life-giving beyond words. I can't even thank you enough. Thank and you. I, I just, I mean it with every fiber of my being. And if you're listening to this and you, uh, and you're not familiar with Joe's work, I know a lot of you who've been listening to my podcast probably swim in the same circles, but if you, if you're not familiar with Joe's work, please go check her out. I'm going to put, 
all of her links in the episode notes for today. So uh, you can get the links to all of her socials. Um, you're pretty much are you just, you're pretty much just Joe Lumen everywhere, right? Is that I am? Yeah, correct. Yeah, just Joe Lumen everywhere. Uh, so she's on Twitter, on Instagram, and TikTok, um, and then. Do you, I know you're doing classes. Are you doing those through your Instagram? Maybe you could talk a little bit about some different things you're offering right now or the different uh, no, things you're I, working I on. Have Patreon, but the Patreon is just so that I can continue to do this work. Uh, so it's yeah. people just agree with me so that I can, but I share most of the content on Patreon. I share it through okay. light stories um, in, okay. on Instagram. So the more developed, okay. like deconstructing of different theologies and things like that. Uh, because I don't like okay. paywalls, because then, you know, the most marginalized, again, are left out. But exactly, I do teach classes uh, through our Bible lab. So I teach a class okay. on Christian hegemony and the things that we've been conditioned to believe and how they are set up. Uh, they were set up from the beginning. So right. we end up talking about marriage and virginity and sexuality and the criminal justice system and the education system and the health system and our beliefs on race and our beliefs on femininity and masculinity and how all of those things have been framed in certain ways uh, from you know the moment that Christianity became the official religion of the empire up until today. Um, and all of that for the purpose of deconstructing that within us so that we can be holier and we can be, you know, human beings that understand a little bit differently who we are, what we are, what the things that we want and how these, um, these, these boundaries that have been set for us on what it means to be can be torn down and we can be everything that we need to be. So that's those, those are the classes that I teach through our Bible app. Okay, great. And yeah, well, and I'll make sure that, um, that all the appropriate links are, uh, are in the notes, uh, for today. And yeah, I just thank you so much for, for being here and, you know, taking the time. This has been an episode of The Life She Wrote. If you want to know more about today's guest or the links that we talked about in this episode, you can find all of that in the episode notes. And if you enjoyed what you heard today, don't forget to go and rate us and write a review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.